This is Cyber Defense Radio with your host and cybersecurity expert, Gary Malefsky. Gary brings to you another globally recognized cybersecurity executive in the hot seat today. Sitting in my hot seat today is a very special guest. It's Bradley Schaufenbuehl, who is the Chief Information Security Officer of a very amazing company with 700,000 clients and growing publicly traded Paychex Corporation. Bradley, welcome to the hot seat. It's good to be here. So you are managing a lot of network traffic, uh, people issues, network security issues, uh, cybersecurity issues. Tell us, what's, what's a day like in the life of a CISO in your role? Uh, well, no two days are exactly the same, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I deal with everything from, um, obviously, from ongoing or dealing with threats that are ongoing at any given moment, so incidents, all the way to, you know, we've got a portfolio of dozens of projects that we're managing to implement new capabilities and update our existing ones, so there's always plenty to do. Bradley, I was in a recent interview with the CEO of a, a kind of new company in what they call API security. And I'm curious, um, are you as concerned as he is that m- most software developers are not writing code with cybersecurity training 101? It's kind of new. Cybersecurity is one field and software engineering has been another field. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so we've been on a journey to kind of, as, as they say, shift left um, and integrate security into the software delivery pipeline. And that includes all kinds of software, including, you know, API endpoints, as well as uh, full web apps. And it's a combination of trying to train uh, our developers on secure development techniques so that they don't introduce uh, vulnerabilities into that code at the very beginning, from the very beginning, and then having essentially testing all the way along the way from when source code is initially committed all the way through right as it's released to the public and having steps all along the way to ensure that we haven't introduced any vulnerabilities in that code. That's a lot of work, I would assume. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think um, it helps. We've, we've got a, a program we call Dev Defenders, which is focused on essentially uh, creating champions within our development teams for security. So folks that are willing to learn more uh, and get their hands dirty and and know how attackers exploit vulnerabilities in code, learning about those techniques and then basically spreading the knowledge to their fellow developers. And that's been highly successful. Do you think um, the MITRE attack framework is a useful tool in this model or are there other tools you recommend for folks to look at? We actually leverage the MITRE attack framework quite a bit and we use it especially on the defensive side. So we've got a cyber fusion center that is um, obviously feel or look, watching all the activity and um, reacting to that. And we leverage the site, we leverage the MITRE attack framework to understand what are the techniques that attackers who are targeting paycheck specifically using. Um, and then we can make sure that we essentially have put in place mechanisms to either detect or stop any of those techniques if they're, if you know an attacker attempts to use them. So that in that way, we can ensure that uh, we can essentially use this as a checklist of here's all the ways that the folks that are targeting us are, are, are trying or attempting to use and can we detect those? And, and if so, can we stop it? And we use that essentially that framework to determine what is our coverage of all these techniques. 
and we put in place mechanisms to try to to capture all of the techniques that are going to be commonly used. That's wonderful. And uh, what NIST standard, uh, MITRE CV, are there other standards that you look into yeah. or you, you support? From an overall program management perspective, we we leverage the NIST cybersecurity framework. So, and we measure our, the maturity of our program against the NIST cybersecurity framework. But obviously that's looking at all, all controls uh, across the board when it comes to cyber defense are very focused on MITRE attack framework. Excellent. And then when we get to people in their behavior in organizations, I'm sure that's a big issue for you. Do you, do you feel like cybersecurity was not originally part of normal corporate America's culture, but it's something that you're trying to imbue beyond just the develop, developer heroes program? Yeah, it's definitely definitely the case. So we've been we focused very heavily on training all of our employees from top to bottom on how to essentially spot cyber threats and protect themselves and the company against them. Um, we do that through you know, phishing simulations and training and standard training. Training, But uh, uh, it, it's, it's also a, a cultural mindset that we're driving. So we're leveraging every channel we can to get people to think like security professionals in their daily jobs. We're all cybersecurity defenders because cybercrime this year has already super far surpassed drug crime. I mean, drug crime in 2020 was, I think, 600 billion, and we're looking at heading into the trillions on cybercrime. Yeah, it's definitely on the uptick, and we're definitely seeing, uh, and especially on the supply chain side, we're seeing a lot with uh, suppliers and partners who are getting hit with um, attacks and that impacting us on the downstream. Do you, do you have to really push your suppliers? I've heard a lot about supply chain vulnerabilities lately. The U.S. government's been very concerned about supply chain cybersecurity issues, but in corporate America, I, I haven't heard of it uh, much, but it sounds like it is a big deal. Yeah, it sure is. So, and, it's, <clears throat> and it used to be kind of a checkbox check exercise where you, know, you would exchange questionnaires um, and, and maybe collect some information from about the third-party attestations, but now you know, you've got to take a step beyond that, especially when there's suppliers that are providing a, a critical service to you that if it's unavailable may impact your ability to serve your clients. In that case, we've really got to look at our practices and whether or not we have alternative suppliers that are ready to go should something happen to that primary supplier. And, and do you think since, you know, post-COVID with so many people working remotely, working from home, the numbers have flipped uh, beyond the 50% mark now when telecommuting used to be a dream for us computer scientists, right? Everybody's doing it. Uh, has that really stressed um, the VPNs, the remote access, the, you know, IAM security, all these things that are kind of new and, and creating new forms of risk? Yeah, it definitely has. And it's, it's caused us to shift our, our focus a bit because uh, more so on for instance, endpoint security than more traditional internal network security because folks are not necessarily connected to the corporate network or they're connected to the corporate network on an untrusted network or from an untrusted network. So we've had to focus a lot more attention on looking at the behavior of our endpoints that are off network. Makes a lot of sense. Um, Bradley, are there any thoughts or ideas you want to share with our viewers or listeners that we haven't covered today? No, I think that was a pretty thorough <laughs> rundown of, of current topics. 
Thank you. And then folks come back next time for another exciting episode. You've been listening to cyber defense radio. Stay tuned next time for another amazing and informative episode. CyberDefenseRadio.com is proudly part of the Cyber Defense Media Group, where InfoSec knowledge is power. Cyber Defense TV and Cyber Defense Radio have launched 24 by 7 by 365 live streams. Visit them online today at CyberDefense.tv and CyberDefense.radio. With your host and globally recognized cybersecurity expert and my good friend, Gary Milewski. <laughs>